Let's turn to the book of Acts. The end of Acts chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 40, and we're continuing our series, Community Life Together, with the message entitled, Conflict and Concern. And we're going to look at the example of the New Testament church in the book of Acts. We're going back to the prototype. We're going back to the beginning of the New Testament church, and we're going to look at it and see what was taking place there. If you missed last week, we looked at the book of Acts chapter 5, and we talked about Ananias and Sapphira. We saw from Acts chapter 5 that God does not want hypocrisy, that the church needs to be a place where people are authentic. At times, we will all miss the mark, and we all fall short of the glory of God. But listen to me, God can deal with that. God can deal with your falling short. God can deal with your failures. God can deal with your sins. In fact, he knows that we are but dust. He understands our frailty. And Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and he is ready. Listen to this. He's at the right hand of the Father, and he's ready to stand up in your defense. The Bible says that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Your sins and your shortcomings and your faults and your failures, God is not, his throne is not shaken because of that. Jesus is at the right hand. He's ready to stand up in your defense. That's not really a problem to God. What is a problem is hypocrisy and the cover up of our sins and the lying and acting as if we're something that we're not. God can deal with the fact that we are flesh and blood and that we fall short of his glory. In the end of Acts chapter 5, God did miracles through the apostles. But the religious leaders of the day got jealous. They had them arrested. They had them thrown into prison. In the middle of the night, an angel of the Lord came and he opened up the prison doors. And God said to them, I want you to go back to the temple. And I want you to go back to doing what I told you to do. They went back to the temple. They were standing there and they were preaching and teaching The next morning when the leaders of the Sanhedrin came back to meet, they called to the jailers and they said, hey, send those guys that Peter and John, you send those teachers of the way, you send them to us. We're going to talk to them again. The guards didn't know what happened. They were missing. The guards were still in front of the doors, but the prisoners were gone. And about that time, someone came and said, those guys that you arrested last night, they're in Solomon's colonnade. And they're teaching and preaching about Jesus once again. Well, what we find is that the leaders send people to the temple. They find the apostles and they ask them to come with them. When they bring them in, they start talking to them and the apostles start preaching to them again. They start telling them about Jesus again and what Jesus has done. And they told them before, don't you dare speak in his name. And they said, we can't help. We can't help but telling what we have seen and heard. We can't stop. And so they get so angry at them that they're ready to kill them. And there's this guy named Gamaliel. He was one of the leaders and he said to him, he calms the people down. And he says to him, now listen, guys. He said, we've seen religious group sex rise up again and you've seen their leaders be killed and they come to nothing. In essence, he says to them, let me paraphrase, if this is not of God, it'll come to nothing. But if it is of God, you can't do anything to stop it. Okay, you can't stop it. And so Gamaliel, and that's where we pick up here. And we're going to pick up here in Acts chapter 5, verse 40. His speech persuaded them. 
They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and to let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. The first thing I want to point out to you today is number one, and if you're writing down notes, this will be a good one for you. Leaders are going to get hit. Look to the person next to you and say, leaders are going to get hit. Leaders sometimes are going to take a beating for the team. Let me say that one more time. Leaders sometimes are going to take a beating for the team. The apostles were faithful doing what God called them to do. They were doing good. Through them, the gospel was being preached. People were being saved. The sick were being healed. And those oppressed by the devil were being set free. And they suffered a beating, not because they did wrong, but because they refused to stop doing what was right. Doing right and being a leader made them a target. It's not just apostles who get hit for doing what's right. In the church of Jesus Christ, as a parent, there's times where you're going to take a beating because you're standing up for what's right. There's sometimes as a Sunday school teacher or a deacon or a care group leader or a minister to children, there's times in which you are going to get hit because you have set your face upon doing what's right and serving the Lord. I want you to to know that that's kind of par for the course. Leaders are going to get hit in a variety of ways. Some will face physical, financial, emotional, and spiritual challenges. They will suffer in ways that the average person does not realize. But I want you to know the positive attitude that the apostles had. In verse 40, it says, Apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Let me ask you, whenever the enemy hits you, is that all it takes for you to quit? Some of you have set your heart to please the Lord. We talked about tithing. Some of you have set your heart to honor the Lord, and you're trying to lead your family before God financially. You're trying to give. You're being a leader when you do that. And the minute that you start to do that, your car breaks down. It's like, good Lord, what? There's a business, something in the workplace where your hours are cut. And it makes no sense because you're saying, God, I want to give. I want to be obedient. I want to honor you. I want to lead. I want to be someone who does what you say. And the enemy comes and he brings these attacks upon you. And the tendency is for people to do is to back off when they get hit. The apostles wouldn't do it. The tendency is to get a bad attitude and say, you know, it really stinks. Started trying to do what right, and look what happens to me. Work got cut back. My car broke down. My hot water heater broke. All of these things. If that's all that it takes to get you to quit, I'm going to tell you the enemy is going to bring that on more and more. 
He'll bring those attacks upon you because he knows the apostles had a positive attitude and they said, we're not going to stop. In fact, the more you beat us, we're going to do it even more. It's not going to slow us down. They considered themselves honored to suffer disgrace for the name. They didn't let that stop them from filling God's mission for their lives. They remained faithful to their call day after day. The second thing that we find from this portion of scripture that I want you to see is that conflict is going to arise. Conflict is going to arise. In the next verse, Acts chapter 6, verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Did you hear that? Listen to this church. Listen to this. In a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit. In a church where people are getting saved every day. In a church where people are getting saved every day. Where miracles are taking place. In a church that has gifted leaders like Peter and John and the rest of the apostles. In a church where the leaders, I haven't been around people like this, who according to scripture, when they're, if you, what we just were reading through the book of Acts, according to scripture, whenever Peter would walk down the street, people would bring their sick relatives and lay them in the street so that Peter's shadow would fall upon them and they were healed because of that. Now I'm telling you, Peter knew how to hear from God. It wasn't a lack of anointing. There was an anointing upon this church. There was an anointing upon these people. His very shadow, he didn't have to say anything, just his shadow falling upon them brought healing into people's lives. In a church like that, there was conflict. Now in some ways, it's disappointing. It's disappointing because of all of the energy that unresolved conflict saps from the mission of the church. The time, the money, the energy, the emotional toll it takes on those involved and on leaders. Author Ray Anderson writes in his book, The Soul of Ministry, Forming Leaders for God's People. He writes this, and this might be another one that you might want to write down. Conflict exists inside of people, not between them. Let me say it to you again. Conflict exists inside of people, not between them. Conflict does not result from a lack of discipline, but from insatiable desires and unmet needs. These needs are themselves often due to experience or previous hurt. Let me say it to you one more time. These needs are often due to experience or previous hurt. We understand that deep inside, people carry around unresolved anger, unhealed pain, and untouched feelings. You might not notice them as long as all we do is put on our Sunday best, slip into the back of the church about halfway through the first song, and as the pastor concludes his prayer, you already have your Bible tucked under your arm, and you've already turned partway to the back door ready to get out, just waiting. Amen. And by the time the N is out of my mouth, people are out the door. As long as that's happening, as long as you can keep that on, then you might not notice 
some of these unmet needs that are inside of people's lives. But when you start getting involved in community, the unresolved issue in people's lives start to surface. Can I tell you another place it happens? It happens in marriages and in families. It happens in those close relationships. As long as I see you, you know, as long as I only see you on Friday night when I'm all dressed up, or as long as you always see that guy on Friday night or that young lady on Friday night when you're all dressed up and your makeup on and everything's looking good and you're trying to make people think the best of you, a lot of the things you can get through. It's whenever you start getting close and you're together every day and some of the masks start to come off that you start to deal with and you start to confront some of those places in our lives that haven't been dealt with yet. On the one hand, that can be an awesome opportunity for God to use his body to heal and bring spiritual growth. It can be an awesome opportunity. Listen to me. It can be one of the best opportunities that you'll ever have. And when it happens, incredible things take place. It's life-changing for people. When people get into community and they start opening their hearts and some of the ugly stuff starts to come out and you realize that these people love me even in spite of my faults. These people care about me even in spite of my fears or insecurity. If people knew that about me, if you knew that about me, maybe you'd reject me. Maybe you would turn me away. I'll tell you something, there's nothing like, there's nothing like people being able to know everything about you and to still be loved by them. What an incredible thing that there's nothing that you can say to me. There's nothing that you've done that's gonna cause me to turn away from you. What an incredibly empowering truth that is in people's lives. Some of you, you know, people knew the things I've done, pastor. They wouldn't like me. And yet God knows, that's the thing about God. He knows all of our faults, all of our frailties, all of our inadequacies, and yet he still pursues a relationship with us. So on the one hand, there's this incredible opportunity for spiritual growth. It can also be an opportunity for even greater confusion. Because of pride, some people refuse to allow God to complete his work in their lives. They make the issue, there's always an issue. They make the issue someone else's and try to bring other people into their confusion. They blame others and deflect responsibility away from themselves. Those who try to help them usually end up getting hurt. Then after they've spread their poison, sown discord, brought confusion and discouragement, ruined relationship, and disrupted the order of the body, then they walk away claiming to be a victim, blaming others for the destruction that they've left in their weight. It's one of the dangers in our lives is that we need to make sure that in the midst of conflict where we think it's always somebody else's fault, we need to make sure that we say, God, what is it that you're teaching me? What is it that I need to learn? What is it that you're showing me? What do the apostles do? What do they do in these times of conflict? It says, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them 
and we'll give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The third thing I want you to see here is that spirit-filled leaders are going to step up or they're going to be raised up, okay? Spirit-filled leaders are going to be raised up. The apostles said this, we're called to preach. We should not neglect what we're called to do to settle disagreements about who got the biggest serving of pork and beans. Wait a minute. You gave her more pork and beans than you gave me. The apostles said, we should not spend our time doing those things. I want you to notice that the ministry of the deacons was more than waiting on tables. It wasn't just a physical disbursement of food. It wasn't just that. It was something more than that. Because the requirement of a deacon was that they be full of wisdom and that they be full of the spirit. Now, do you need to be full of wisdom to wipe off tables? You could get a monkey, train a monkey to dump pork and beans into a plate. And that's not hard. You don't have to be full of wisdom or full of the spirit to hand out a can of pork and beans. But you do need to be full of the spirit to take responsibility and to be able to discern what God is doing in that area of ministry. So what happened was in the midst of those conflict, in the midst of the conflict, God raised up others who would step in and say, you can count on me. Hey, Peter, it's one of those things that's like the ball game, the quarterback. What's everybody on the other team trying to do? Knock the snot out of him. The receiver, when the ball is thrown to the receiver across the middle, what's everybody on the other team trying to do? They're trying to hit him so hard that he never comes back over across the center again. They want to catch him while his arms are stretched out, reaching for that ball, and they want to knock him into next week. They want him to lay on the ground there, not able to breathe for a few minutes, so that the next time he steps up and the pass is coming to him, that he flinches. Let's say you have a great receiver, and you constantly throw the ball to that receiver the whole game, and every time he catches the ball, he gets knocked flat down on the ground, the wind knocked out of him, he lays there for three minutes, he's out for a play, and then they bring him back in. How long will he be able to do that? He can't do that forever. He may be strong, he may be gifted, he may have all kinds of willpower, and he may want to keep getting back up, but if you hit him enough, he gets hit enough, eventually he's not going to be able to get back up. You need to be able to spread the ball out to different players. You need to run the ball, you need to hand the ball off, you need to throw a variety of different receivers, you need to be able to supplement guys on the field. And what the church needs is the church needs some other people who will say, you're not the only one who's going to take a hit. I'll take a hit too, pastor. Hey, coach, how about throwing the ball to me? I'm fresh now. I'm feeling good today. I can step out. 
And what the church needs is it needs men and women who will step up in times of difficulty and say, God, I'm willing for you to use me. But I know this. I know that if I let you use me, I understand this, that there'll be a target put on my back. How's God going to use me? I don't feel that I'm as gifted as somebody else. Listen to me, that's a bunch of baloney. God's looking for people who will make themselves available and say, God, you can count on me. God, you can count on me. The issues with the food, I'll take care of that. The issues with other areas of ministry, God, you can count on me to step up and to step out. What they found is as leaders were raised up in the body, they solved the conflict. The issues were taken care of. Now, I'm going to say this to you. If the issue is in someone's heart, okay, there's times whenever you and I, we have different opinions. There's times when you bump into someone and, oh, that hurts, okay? If the issue, that's life. And those are usually easily resolved with humility. If you're proudful, they're not very easy to deal with. But with humility, those things are usually pretty easy to deal with. When there's an issue in someone's heart and it's inside of them, what God is going to do is he's going to keep sending opportunities for them to grow. He's going to keep giving them those opportunities to work and and to deal with the issues in their life and the hurts in their life. I want to say this to you. Do not spend too much time. You can't heal. I can't heal. I, I wish you could. I wish I could. If someone has unresolved anger in their heart, I can't apologize that away enough. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that I breathe. I'm really sorry. I took up your airspace. Really, please forgive me. Yeah, please. I'm sorry I prayed for you. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean any offense by that. If people have unresolved issues in their lives, you can apologize all day long and you can bend over backwards to try to make them happy. And it's never going to be dealt with because it's, it's inside of them. And until they're willing to let God work in their heart, I just want to be honest with you, you pray for them. This pastor, I've known you for 20 years and I know how you deal with people. You're right. And I'm telling you, sometimes it's a waste of time. We have to allow God to deal with hurts in people's lives. We can try and help them and, and we can try and reach out. But if that person refuses to let God deal with that part in their life, there's nothing that you can do. Wait, we're in church and we're supposed to be able to fix everybody's stuff. No, we got to let God deal with them. We pray and we let people do their thing. But the Bible says, as far as it has to do with you, live in peace with all men. What some people need to know is that, well, the real issue is this unresolved resentment in your heart. The real issue is the bitterness in your heart. The real issue is this hurt. And I understand that you're hurt, but it really doesn't have anything to do with what's going on right here. This is the hurt that goes back from when you were a little kid. This goes back to the places in your life when people hurt you and rejected you. And and you want to put it on everybody else, but that's not where it belongs. You let God heal that broken part in your life because he wants to. And you'll find that those people will be able to get along with people much better. That they won't always be so sensitive. They won't always be being hurt. They won't always be a victim. But you and I can't do that for them. They have to wait and allow the Holy Spirit to move upon them. As we close today, I want to call you. I want to call some people who will step up and will just say to God, God, put me in for the play. I won't mind 
I don't mind getting hit. I think I got enough time in. I think God's touched me enough that I can take a few hits. I can't take them all, but I'm ready to get back in the game. Lord, you use me. I'm willing to be a leader where you want me to. I'm willing to allow what you've done in my life and the work that you've accomplished in my life to let me be able to step in there and be a leader once again for the body of Christ. To be a leader. And, and you know, I don't know, maybe you've been through some difficult times. You've taken a siesta. Or maybe you say, well, pastor, I've I've spent a lot of time and I've put in my time. It's time for somebody else now. Until we die, there's times in which we need a siesta. There's times in which we need time to be healed. But I'm going to tell you, God needs you back in the game. God needs you in the game. He needs to be able. The church of Jesus Christ needs you. And you say, Pastor, my parts don't seem very big. But your part is vital to the kingdom of God. Whenever those deacons stepped up, it talks about how the church, God continued to multiply the church. It says, the word of God spread to the numbers of disciples in Jerusalem, increased rapidly, and a number of priests became obedient to the faith. The word of God spreads whenever men and women who are called by God, who are filled with his spirit, begin to step up and say, you can count on me. You can give me the ball. I don't have to be a top dog. You can give me the ball. You trust me. I'll take care of it. I'll be responsible for that place. So Father, I pray in Jesus' name for people in here. Lord, I just feel like maybe today you gave people some insight into some things, the way that life works the way that people deal with hurts and and disappointments. And God, we've all experienced conflict. And there's times in which you're doing something new in our life. And in those times of conflict, we allow you to do something new in our life. And we allow you to direct us. And we allow you to teach us and to cause us to grow and to prod us forward. We also pray, God, that there would be people who would step up and who would be willing to be leaders who are filled with the Spirit so that the church can continue to move forward and accomplish what God would have it to do. Lord, we know that in this life, in this world, even incredible churches like the church in the book of Acts face times of conflict. And as human beings, we're going to face times of conflict, but I thank you, God, that you're going to go with us and lead us and guide us and direct us, and you're going to take that conflict and you're going to make something good out of it. We praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.